Today's episode touches on topics of drug use and natural disasters that some listeners may find disturbing. Parents may want to listen to the episode before allowing young ears to listen. Welcome to the Yarn Saga Podcast. Every episode is an original story set in the Yarn Saga universe. A universe beyond our space and time. Listen closely, as each episode contains secrets and truth for a discerning mind and an open heart. Our team spends countless hours doing what we love, creating and crafting stories to entertain and inspire. Please... Consider supporting us on our Ko-fi page, as every penny helps us continue creating for you, our listeners. Check out our website to find out more at yarnsagapodcast.com. We would love to hear what you think of our stories and characters. Send us a message on our website, or post a comment on our social posts. And now, without further delay, the Yarn Saga Podcast. Season 2, Episode 2, Upheaval, written by Liana Thompson. In a land where chieftains fought savagely for supremacy and have now found peace, the ground shakes and no one knows why. Chieftains have ruled for over 100 years. The infighting between clans has left villages desolate. None have suffered more than the Iru. Without warning, the Kudzu tribes from the north attacked, killing the Iru's leaders and dragging off their females. The northern Kudzu even sold Iru eggs as a delicacy to their privet neighbors from the east. The privet's ravenous appetites drove the Iru almost to the point of extinction. In the process of time, and because of the mercy of the Sedar Bip, a leader rose up among the Iru of the Great Plains. Chief Temerario, who everyone called Chief Rio, returned victorious from every battle, finally subduing the northern Kudzu tribes and the eastern Privet, who together had ravaged the Iru critters. For generations, the fighting raged on with no decisive victor until Chief Rio delivered them from their captivity and caused their critters to flourish. The Iru admired their handsome leader. While the average Iru stood about four feet tall, Chief Rio stood above them all. Their blue-gray plumage which curled around their short wings impeded flight, but some believed at one time they did fly and Chief Rio was believed to have flown over their enemies, causing the Kudzu and Privet to fear him. All Iru desired the finest plumage. The brilliant luster of their coats attracted females far and wide, and none possessed feathers of an iridescent nature but Chief Rio, who spent hours grooming himself, 
the Iru attributed this to his supposed ability to fly. This handsome warrior stood out among the Iru, and they chose him as their leader because of his fearless, daring acts and compelling oratory. Chief Rio then appointed three of the wisest Iru as advisers, Clark, Rolo and Zimri, who ensured the success of the colony and the preservation of their historical documents. They were responsible for the well-being of the Iru. Under their leadership, the tribe became strong. They shaped their society with wise statutes and received tribute from the tribal leader whom he conquered. Every year for generations, the Iru celebrated their victory over their enemies with an annual celebration of Fandrasana. During the celebration, Chief Rio donned his ceremonial warrior accoutrements and processed through the crowd. A crier went before him, reading off all that their leader had done for them. It was invigorating for all who attended. For many years, their comfortable lifestyle continued. They prospered and developed nesting houses for their young. Their food stores were plentiful and their cares few. Until the trembling. The Iru gathered daily in front of the main habitation, Chief Rio's grand tent, to get an explanation about these events. Chief Rio sat on his throne fielding questions when a disconsolate mother came forward with her clutch and showed her child. The whimpering bird was molting. A gasp rose from the crowd, but Chief Rio, with his calm voice, said he would have to meditate on the current events and consult his brilliant advisers. Day after day, new reports filtered into the grand tent of Iru falling through cracks which opened up under them, getting their wings singed by fire spewing from the ground, or breaking their legs in an effort to escape a sinkhole. The community was at the brink of total panic. Mists filled the sky, and the sound of thunder could be heard in the distance. Chief Rio decreed that mighty Sadar Bip, whom they worshipped, required a sacrifice from each tribesman. A sacrificial portion of food stores were to be brought to the chief's tent to make sure that the Sadar Bip received his portion. The rumblings were supposed to lessen. Instead, they increased. Here and there around the community, a fissure opened up and hissing vapour would escape into the atmosphere. The Sadar Bip seemed insatiable in his desire, and many tribesmen stopped believing that the Sadar Bip cared for them and provided for their needs. The supplies ran short, and they withheld portions, giving little, if anything at all. Certainly not a sacrificial portion. Chief Rio then claimed that critters were withholding their best, and that was the reason for the continued tremblings. But no matter what was proposed, how much they gave or what they did, the rumbling ground continued. The once peaceful community became suspicious of one another, and their camaraderie waned in the light of self-preservation. This result proved counterproductive, as they became susceptible to predators. Some of their company disappeared, and their leaders took full advantage of this, proposing that if they did not remain unified, 
believing all that was told to them. They left the protection of the Sadar Bip and would be subject to his wrath. Within the chief's tent, the facade could not be maintained among Chief Rio's advisers. Clark, the keeper of the sacred parchments, looked over at his chief, a swirl of smoke circling his head. His eyes glazed with euphoria. Daily rations of his calming pipe had become hourly calming drafts. In the midst of the events, his foolhardy behaviour produced angst among his advisers. They stood in the tent, heads bent, as they whispered their displeasure. We have made a mistake, allowing this fool to take all the glory of the historic wars. It was you, Rollo, who finally subdued the northern tribes. The people loved him. We thought we could control him. Zimri interjected. We can't argue about the past. We've got to figure out what to do now. Our scientists are telling us it's a seismic event. Does he truly believe that the Sadar Bip is angry with us? He believes in whatever will keep him in comfort and give him more of that smelly, calming draft. We need to devise a plan that will keep us and our family safe, Rolo stated. Clark looked appalled. What about the rest of the tribe? They wanted this vain hero? Let them listen to him now, Rolo said without pity. He makes no sense. Had he ever? Clark asked, rolling his eyes. He constantly boasted of feats he never accomplished, and we allowed that to go on for years. So all the Iru know is this legendary hero that never existed. Yes. Remember when he said he helped the Seda Bip create all life on the planet? Oh, ridiculous. We do not have time for these rabbit trails. We messed up. We gave him power and authority he did not deserve. Zimri felt ashamed. Well, I say we head towards the mountains and find safety within the caves of Dodor. They have a water supply and we can forage for food up on the hills. Rolo was not a fan of Clark's idea. I was thinking of going towards the sea. We could boil water if we have no fresh source and catch fish. All right. A good idea to split up the tribe. Whoever wants to go to the sea should, and those who want to go to the hills will go with Clark. What are you gossiping about? Came the slurred voice from the corner of the tent. Chief! We are devising a plan to leave this area for a safer location. We are safe here. (laughs) Stop being alarmists. Rolo tried to contain his fury. Mm, Our scientists have studied the strange rumbling and say they're only going to get worse before they get better. I don't listen to doomsayers. Oh, How would you interpret the ground shakes and the steam spewing out of the ground? Sedabip requires appeasement. (laughs) We have been trying to appease Sedarbip. He's not speaking, but we're not ignorant. We need to flee this area. We have decided to take precautions until the season of shaking passes and can take refuge in the caves or- Caves? (laughs) What will happen to the caves with the shaking? They'll cave in. (laughs) in. He chuckled, thinking himself witty. 
That's why I propose seeking shelter at the beach. The beach? <laughs> what about softening sand? It'll swallow up the tribe. Oh? Well, what do you propose? We're fine right here in the plains. No one should fly. Fly, fly, fly. I suggest we let the Iru decide. Do you really think they have the intelligence to decide? <laughs> they can decide whether they want to head to the hills, the ocean, or stay on the plains. But we are running out of time. We are miles from the epicenter of any seismic activity. Nothing will affect us here. Countered Rio. Zimri held Rolo back from attacking their leader. A sudden commotion from outside diverted their attention. The community of Iru gathered at the Pool of Creation and wailed. Some shouted toward the Grand Tent in frustration. When Chief Rio appeared at the entrance of the main habitation, an elderly Iru named Marlo stood leaning heavily against his cane and demanded, Chief Rio, what are we to do? Is there a way to stop this destruction? We are struggling to survive, and many have already fled if they haven't already been caught in this tumultuous shaking. You must trust the Seda Be. The squawk of birds drowned out his explanation. Lola, who had lost her clutch due to molting sickness, pointed to the sky, which bled a sickly yellow and carried on the wind a stench of sulfur permeating the air. We must do something! The Sadar bit be hanged, he is not helping. Several critters have died of sheer terror. Nabi, a youth who lost his parents, said, The unexplainable tremors are getting worse, and not one of you seems to care. Well, we've got to find a solution. A new habitat, a place to keep our ancient historic records. The place to survive. Mallow said with accusation, Your only solution is to continue appeasing the Sadar bit. But our efforts to appease him have been in vain. Their chieftain, Temerario, continued to insist on appeasing the Sedar Bip to no avail. What is happening? shouted Nabi. No answer came from the makeshift gilded throne. He is just ignoring us! The ground rumbled again and steam oozed from the ground. Uh, I must meditate. Uh. We don't have time for this! We need to be calm. There is no emergency, droned their chief as he turned to return to his pipe within the tent. A hiss escaped a fissure nearby, as if in protest, while deepening yellow poisoning clouds increased in the morning sky. Rolo jabbed his chief in the ribs as Clark encouraged him to tell the crowd their plan. We are in danger! We have heard of a mountain in the east that has come alive and is leeching this slime into the sky! Nabi pointed up. Again, Rolo jabs his chief in the ribs. This time, he groaned in real pain, putting one hand on his ribs and another on his forehead. As if receiving a supernatural message, he said, The Seder Beep puts a challenge before you. You choose... You can stay in our lovely valley with its plentiful vegetation and water. Travel to the unknowns by the sea where fresh water is scarce 
and fish would be your new food source. Or go to the unknowns of the hills and live in the caves. Fresh water is plentiful there, but you will have to scavenge for food. I will stay here with the bravest of our critters. Clark will go travel to the hills for those who care to chance cave-ins, and Rolo will head toward the sea. Competition for food will be significant. Survival depends solely on the will of the Cedar Beep. The Cedar Beep has always provided for our needs and prospered our colony. If you only believe... A tremor rose from the ground, knocking some of the Iru off their feet. A unified squawk arose from the crowd as some Iru ran helter-skelter to their deaths. Clark speaks to the crowd. Everyone! Everyone! Those who want to go to the mountain will meet at the pool. Pack only what you can carry. This is an evacuation. We will start our journey at first light. Those of you who are going with me will meet on the south end of the tent to go to the sea, Rolo said and reiterated the evacuation protocol. Zimri decided to join whichever group was largest to help with the mass exodus. The chief lay passed out in his tent while the three advisors returned to get their gear to leave their community. And what do we do with him? Zimri asked. Leave him! (laughs) I think we should prop him up. Rolo looked at their chief with disgust. (laughs) We've been propping him up for years, and we haven't done ourselves nor our vassal tribes any justice. Clark lifted his chief with Zimri's help to the throne and pulled him onto the chair. He reeked with the calming draught. Rolo walked up and kicked his sagging leg upright. Look at him. The mighty deception that we made. I'm ashamed. The ground shook again, and the earth spewed its steam, and the night promised to be long. In the morning, a large fissure appeared behind the chief's tent. The groove was three feet deep and extended along the 15-acre area where the Iru lived. A yellow mist covered the sky, like a pernicious hand descending on the community where the Iru lived. A nervous gaggle gathered in their prospective areas. The numbers of Iru who decided to head for the hills to live in the caverns outnumbered those who chose to go to the sea. But some refused to leave their home. For years they had wandered as nomads, and finally found this haven with plenty under the leadership of a renowned hero, and would not leave. The tearful goodbyes for a short while overshadowed the noise of the thunderous sounds of the ground shakes. Many families were separated because they each adamantly chose their sides and the ones that remained were convinced their families would return when the season of earthshakes were over and everything returned to normal. Rolo took his group to the sea. Zimri goes with Clark because the group was twice as large. The elderly and the young would need assistance making the climb. For the last time, Chief Rio appeared at the opening of the tent 
standing by the tent and once again urging his tribe to stay together. Having lost the respect of his advisors, no one pays him any mind. He evokes the name of the Sadar Bip as they leave their home. Clark and Zimri look over the motley group at the pool. The tremors under their feet had become the norm. Cascading rock tumbles softly into the ravine that opened the night before. Iru walked freely in and out of the chief's tent, their wings filled with supplies. Zimri pointed to the Iru fleeing from the tent. Our Eru have become complacent and have never known deprivation. He shook his head. Do you really think we have a chance? Of course we do. Look at how resilient they are. Despite weeks of tremors and sulfuric vapors, they are willing to leave their comfortable homes and survive. But how will they be on the road? Let them know the difficulties. Zimri calls his fellow Iru to attend to his words. They gathered together, females with their clutches strapped to their backs, many who had lost loved ones, and some sporting signs of stress, molting. They were a motley group of refugees. Zimri clears his throat, moved with compassion by this motley group of brave Iru. As we begin our journey to our new home, I want to make you aware of some dangers we may face. You might get... tired. Please bring plenty of water and food. It may take... time. He looked over at Clark, who shrugged. Zimri realized he had no idea of the dangers they would experience with such a trek. Well, stay close to one another. Don't get separated. On the southern side of the tent, worried Iru gathered with Rolo and his family. Rolo's wife packed her clutch with gentle care. She hoped the easier trek would preserve the life of her unborn bird. Other mothers took their egglets up the mountain, believing the hills provided the best chance for survival. Rolo assesses their packs and makes them leave non-essentials. He spoke with confidence to the Iru he would lead. We are now headed to our new home by the water. Our lives will probably change for a while, but we will be able to rebuild. And because of our irrepressible nature, we will have the same, if not better, prosperity as we had in the plains. Rolo and his company head toward the beach as the ground quakes in anger, tumbling some off their feet. They determinedly make their way down the slopes, careful to avoid the fissures opening up along the way. Clark takes the lead of the group up toward the mountain that can be seen in the distance, while Zimri brings up the rear. As they reach the base of Long Mountain, many of the Iru, unaccustomed to hardship, lose heart. Just getting to the mountain had been arduous. The earth shakes never ceased and they were tired. At this point, many of the Iru decided to stay at the base of the mountain, especially those with egglets, small birds, and the elderly, both male and female Iru. While the stronger and fit, mostly young male adults and teens, along with Clark and Zimri, continued to trudge up the mountain. As they continued upward toward the over 2,000 foot summit, new species of animals were seen. Most of the northern tribes arrived days earlier. 
they seem to adapt with greater ease than the Iru, and with less complaining. Maybe because they had lost in battle to the Iru, or maybe because the land they were given by the Iru required exertion to make it habitable. Some of the Iru then decided to stay in the caves off the side of the mountain, joining the northern tribes who established underground communities to which their species habituated. The Iru short-sightedness was proving a complication. As the climb became more arduous, Iru left the group to stay along the way. Meanwhile, Rolo and his group were heading toward the seaside. The sand in places sucked at their talons. Tired and thirsty, they had made it. Come, my fellow Iru, come, let us go to our new home. Rolo and his followers organised habitats to live in. They found circular brown balls that provided water. The circular orbs were no match for their beaks, which broke them open with ease. The hairy husks made secure nests for their eggs. Rolo breathed a sigh of relief. His decision to head to the coast had been the right decision. On the Iru Plains, earth shakes and fissures opening up continue while hot fires now replace the bubbling yellow slime. Several Iru, walking over the ground, fall into the flaming fissures. The stench of burnt feathers and beaks mingled with the sulfuric slime and caused illness among the few Iru. Chief Rio's smoking habit increased exponentially with the deaths and frequency of earth shakes. The citizens begin to revolt in the midst of the turmoil around them. There are those who are loyal to the chief, while others expose his decadence and apathy for his tribe. His tent had been plundered, and the Iru recognize their sacrificial gifts have been used by the chief for his excesses. They have gone to speak with their chief to tell them about a family whose tent has been swallowed by a sinkhole at the edge of town. His unconcern for the lives of his tribe was appalling, and he sinks deeper into his self-imposed euphoria as deaths from the earth shakes increase. Zimri looks back at the Iru left behind and notices water accumulating at the base of Long Mountain. The Iru scrambled up the hill as the water rose. Zimri turned away as he witnessed Lola and several of the mothers clutching desperately to their egglets as they were swept away by the rising tide. A collective cry resounded against the mountain. Clark joined Zimri at the rear of the column. A large rumble reverberated at the top of the mountain as the ground shook, loosening boulders at the top. Meanwhile, on the beach, the Iru happily built their homes. The success of their flight emboldened them to take chances. On the sand, ground shakes were hardly noticeable. They were thrilled with their decision. The Iru became familiar with their new environment. They learned to avoid the areas of sand which made their talons stick, and moved further inland to the drier areas where the sea oats grew. The abundance of the oblong orbs that some in the group called hairy berries provided not only drinking water, but also the white meat inside was tasty 
and satisfied their hunger. They also were easy to harvest once the green outer shell was broken into. Rolo, breaking with his somber mood, decided the new colony needed to rejoice over their victory. They decided to celebrate their new victory over the natural elements, a new Fandrasana. On the beach, many Iru decorated their camp in celebration. They decorated the trees with sea oats and palm branches, which they called fan trees. The Iru had never been happier. Malo, with some of the older Iru, brought their instruments and played the old ballads. The teen Iru created new ballads, which recorded their arduous journey to the beach to save their tribe. As they rejoiced, singing and dancing, no one heard the thunderous roar from beyond the sea until the balls began to rattle on their makeshift tables. They looked at the beach and noticed the water had receded and the fish lay high and dry. Nabi yelled, Seder Bib has blessed our decision and has provided for us all! Mothers watched from the shore as several of the young ran to the sea with their packs and began filling them with the fish. All of a sudden, a wall of water rose up from the sea. With tears in their eyes, the Iru on shore made desperate gestures for their young birds in the sea to come inland. But they thought they were being encouraged and continued gathering their spoils. By the time they noticed the large wave come and kill them, it was too late. Not only for them, but for those ashore. The wave thundered 20 miles inland with merciless ferocity, killing every Iru in its path. On the plains, Chief Rio made one last staggering appearance. So many Iru had died following this vain, cowardly leader. As he emerged from the tent, several Iru gathered round. Angry, they shouted, heckling him as he spoke. Herdit, who lost his family in the Great Suck, which is what they began to call the sinkholes, threw a rock toward the leader and struck him on the shoulder. The crowd took up the challenge and followed suit, killed him. Their hatred so consumed them that they didn't hear the earth churning and becoming liquid under their feet. In a moment, the earth swallowed the entire area, leaving a crater 15 miles in circumference. Zimri struggled to free some of the Iru struck by the cascading rocks. Clark managed to escape by a feather, but they made it to the summit. A handful of Iru escaped the carnage of the rock slide. They could begin anew. They would survive. They could forage. The water fell from the mountain into a pool of fresh water. They were safe. Clark and Zimri counted the surviving members of their company. The strong and fit of their young males had made it to the summit. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode. They would survive. We release a new episode every other Thursday. If you have enjoyed today's program, please give us a five-star rating and tell your friends. Join our Facebook and Instagram page to find out the latest information on Yarn Saga.
it really helps us out. Consider supporting us on Ko-fi, as every penny helps us continue creating unique stories to entertain and inspire. For information and to connect to all of our social media pages, check out our website at yarnsagapodcast.com. Yarnsaga was created by Austin Thompson and Matthew Van Gorkum. Today's episode, Upheaval, was written by Liana Thompson. Executive producer and sound designer Austin Thompson, editor Samantha Thompson, admin Madeline Heindel, artists Matthew Van Gorkum, Madeline Heindel, voiceover talents by Lauren Kaler, Lane Brookholder, Austin Thompson, Matthew Van Gorkum and Samantha Thompson. Yarn Saga is a cross-stitch productions program and all rights reserved by cross-stitch productions. Upheaval is not to be played in part or whole without the express permission of cross-stitch productions. Thank you for coming. This is magical.